0: Hi, everybody. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I want to greet all of you joining us right now, whether you are in Dane County, Wisconsin, around the country, or around the world. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're so glad that you are with us. Now, you may be asking, okay, Charles, you're not at Bredaway site. You're not preaching your normal place. Why are you out here with a bunch of sheep? Well, as it turns out, we are entering the two final weeks of the I am series and the two final statements of Jesus, well they happen to be in John chapter 10, I am the sh- gate for the sheep and I am the good shepherd. The big metaphor is that we are sheep and Jesus is our shepherd and the gate for us. So we're talking about that these two weeks and uh, you know me, I'm, I'm from California, city boy, don't know a thing about sheep. So I thought, before I start preaching about sheep, I should get to know a bit more. So, so I came out to Kim and Greg's farm to hang out with their sheep. Hey guys. Sorry. yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. Whoa, that thing is fast. Hello. How are you? No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, no. Nope. When we touch the ground, she wants to move. In the air, you don't move. Come to the ground. Oh no! no. <laughs> How <are you> doing? <laughs> I'm gonna share more about what I learned about them with you later in the sermon. But before I do that, I want to get into the text of John chapter 10. And to do that, I need my big screen TV so I can like, you know, show you the text and stuff. For that, we need to go back to bring away. Wow, that was so much fun. (laughs) I had such a great time. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kim and Greg Hardick for sharing their farm, sharing their sheep with us, and especially to Kim and her daughter, Samantha. They spend the morning with us, helping us get the shots, and I learned so much talking to Kim about the sheep and hanging out with the sheep. So thank you to Kim, Samantha, the entire Hardick family. appreciate it so very much. Now, I learned stuff, and I'm going to share with you some of the things I learned later in the talk, but Uh, Before we do that, let's get into the text. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Jesus has two I am statements in John chapter 10. I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Now, you can tell already, right? These two statements are connected. Well, one, because they are in the same passage. And the other, they share the same underlying metaphor. God is shepherd and we are sheep. Now, as you're listening, some of, some of you, are, you know, if you've been coming to church for a while, you're already thinking, yeah, Charles, I know, I've heard this sermon before. Yeah, we're sheep. We follow Jesus. Jesus is our shepherd. He takes care of us. And you have good reasons to think that because, frankly, this whole metaphor about us being sheep, that is all over the place in the Bible, right? I mean, think, about, think about Psalm 23, verse 1, right? Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I mean, have you heard this verse before? I mean, it's only like the most famous verse in the Bible. Right? And the whole Psalm 23 is about this beautiful, beautiful picture of the sheep trusting the shepherd and the shepherd taking care of the sheep. Ooh, it's such a beautiful picture of our relationship with God. Or how about Psalm 100, verse 3? Know that Yahweh, when you see Lord in all caps, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. Right? Know that Yahweh is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his Pasture. Just beautiful, beautiful sentiment. God, Yahweh is God. He created us. We belong to Him. We are the sheep of His pasture. So, look, you have a lot of good reasons to think that, hey, this sermon is going to be in the same vein, right? Jesus is the good shepherd. He takes care of us. We follow Him. And uh, you would be wrong. Because that's not what's going on in John chapter 10. Okay, now let me, let, me, let me just make sure I'm clear about this, all right? Jesus assumes that we all know this whole God is shepherd, we're sheep metaphor, right? He assumes you've heard and read Psalm 23 and you heard sermons on it, but that's not what's going on in John chapter 10. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's not saying, oh, hey, I'm your shepherd. Be my sheep, I'll take care of you. No, 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 no. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. They're not encouraging words in John chapter 10. No, they are fighting words. Intrigued? I hope you are. Let's go to verse one. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. All right, let's stop right there. Who is Jesus talking to? Go ahead, yell at the screen. It's not weird at all. Pharisees. Pharisees. Can we come back? Thanks. Pharisees. Good. So, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the religious leader of Israel. They are the people who are really known for their piety. They they, they know the Bible inside out, and they really know about the religious rules that people are supposed to follow. So question number two, why is Jesus talking to the Pharisees? Well, clearly, we have to go back to chapter nine for that because clearly the story doesn't begin in chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, please turn to John chapter nine. Please turn to John chapter nine, or or, you know, thumb your way back to John chapter nine. I don't have time to read the whole chapter. What I'm going to do is I'm going to retell the story, and if you can just kind of follow along as I'm talking, okay, just as I'm talking, just follow along. So John chapter nine, the story begins easy enough. Jesus and his disciples, they, they, they run into a guy who's blind, and Jesus decides to heal him. So Jesus, being Jesus, he he spits on the ground, he takes the saliva, mixes it with dirt. Turns it into mud and then smears it on the blind guy's eyes. And he says, Go wash it off. So the blind guy, he goes off and washes it off, and boom, his sight is recovered. He can now see. So, hoo hoo, miracle, right? Glory to God, hallelujah. Everybody's excited, right? Well, there's a problem. The problem is, this happens on a Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is a day for rest, it's, it's, a, it's a religious day for rest. And so now we have a problem. We have controversy. Huh. We have God doing a miraculous healing, but it happens on Sabbath. So this is where the Pharisees step in. The Pharisees, this is their job, right? This is their job. People are confused because if it's okay to heal somebody on the Sabbath, maybe it's okay to heal and do other things on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees come in, but they're also divided because their theology tells them that the power to heal comes from God. But people who break the Sabbath, they do not come from God. So now they're stuck, right? right? They're caught, they're divided among themselves. So what is the solution? What is the solution? Well, it's easy if you know how a hardened, rigid mind works. All right, it's simple. Power to heal comes from God. Breaking the Sabbath, not from God. Well, maybe there was no healing in the first place okay? So that's exactly what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees decide to put reality on trial. Maybe there was no healing. They actually form an inquisition. They actually form a trial. They bring the blind guy's parents in for, for, for examination, and, and they ask, him you know, like, hey, was he really blind when he was born, or maybe just kind of blind, right? And, and the parents are like, hey, we know exactly what's going on. We don't want any part of this. So they say, yeah, he was blind when he was born, but you know, you've got to talk to him. He's old enough. We don't know anything more about this. So they interview or cross-examine the blind guy. And this guy doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't get it. So he gets into a big argument back and forth with the Pharisees. And his big point, the guy who healed me, he has to be from God. And of course, the Pharisees, they don't take this very well. Right? They're like, hey, we're the Pharisees. We're the leaders. You're nobody. You're a sinner. You're nothing. In fact, you're probably this guy's disciple. So you know what? Your testimony's not trustworthy anyway. So they kick him out. They throw him out of the tribunal. Well, problem solved. Thorny issue resolved. After all of that, Jesus comes to the ex-blind man. And he says, hey, I'm the guy who healed you. Would you like to put your trust in me? And we get to this beautiful verse in verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Oh, I mean, think about it. This is just such a beautiful, beautiful story. The, The guy gets healed. And then He doesn't see Jesus, right? He he was was blind when it happened. And and he goes through all this rigmarole with the Pharisees. He testifies for Jesus in an inquisition. He gets tossed out, humiliated. He comes out, and he sees Jesus for the very first time with his eyes that he can actually see, and he says, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. What a great story. And And that's how it should have ended Except Jesus, never one to leave well enough alone, throws in one more jab. Next verse. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Let's just pause there, okay? Quick test. Why did Jesus come into the world? Go ahead, yell at the screen. It's not weird at all. Why did Jesus come into this world? Before today, before reading this verse, How many of you would have answered, for judgment? Jesus comes to save, he also comes to judge. For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. This is a statement of judgment, this is a statement of condemnation. Who is Jesus talking to? Well, he's talking in public. There are other people around, specifically there are Pharisees around. They hear this, they know what's going on, they know what Jesus is getting at, so I think they're maybe just more than a little offended. Next verse. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus says, I come to judge, but not the blind. No, 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 the blind are not judged. Jesus heals the blind. No, 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 those who are judged are people who are blind but claim to be able to see. The Pharisees are the ones who are blind but claim to be able to see their sin remains. Now, Jesus has a lot more to say about the Pharisees. So he continues to attack the Pharisees in the very next verse, which just happens to be chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. Now, we need to quickly notice that Jesus switches metaphors. We were talking about blindness earlier. Now he switched to the whole sheep metaphor. And so let's kind of understand this a little bit. Um, the, um, The sheep pen... This is a, the Greek word there's alen, it's the typical Greek word, it means a courtyard. It's referring to a very stereotypical a sheep pen in the first century, where it's built next to the house, and it's a walled enclosure that's open to the sky. And then there's a gate, all right. So looking at these two, three verses here, what is the focus of what Jesus is getting at? What is the focus? So I think the focus is about security. The focus is on the security and the well-being of the sheep, right? Because right, well, there's threats. There are threats, right? There are threats. There's a thief, and then there's a robber. So what's going to protect the sheep? That's really the big question. That what's going to protect the sheep? Well, there's two mechanisms for protecting the sheep in the first century. Number one is that there is a gate guarded by a gatekeeper. And that gate and the gatekeeper only allows the true shepherd to come in, discriminates. So that the thief and the robber, well, they have to climb in by some other way. That's mechanism number one. Now, for mechanism number two, we go to the next sentence. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. The second mechanism is built into the sheep. The sheep recognizes the voice of the shepherd. So Jesus just really lays out the two security mechanisms protecting sheep in the first century. There is the gate, and then there is the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the shepherd. Jesus claims to be both of the security mechanism for the sheep. Now in verses 7 through 10, we're going to get to I am the gate. That's next week. Today, we're going to jump down to verse 11. We're going to look at I am the good shepherd. So let's go to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Simple comparison. Owner shepherd, hired hand. One cares about the sheep, one does not. Now this comparison, this tension right here it's, it's totally clear to everybody in Jesus' days. Because everybody in Jesus' days, either they own sheep or they know somebody who owns sheep. And you always have this problem as an owner of sheep, right? I can do the shepherding myself, but if my flock gets too big, I need to hire some shepherds. So how do I get shepherds that care about my sheep as much as I do? That's a major problem, a major tension. Some of you who own businesses, I think you, you, you recognize some of that tension. Well, as it turns out, this owner-shepherd tension, it's a really big theme in the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets repeatedly talk about how God is the owner and how ancient Israel is the flock. And the leaders of Israel, they're the shepherds for hire. And the owner is not happy with the shepherds. Ezekiel chapter 34 is all about this owner-shepherd dynamic. Let's jump in. This is what sovereign Yahweh says. and they were scattered. They became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. God, the owner, is mad. He is angry because we have these lazy, selfish shepherds who don't do anything. Oh, they enjoy being being a shepherd. They eat the curds, right? They, They wear the wool. They have barbecue lamb shanks. They eat the sheep. But when it comes to taking care of the sheep, they don't do anything. So as a result, the sheep, they're they're, they're injured, they're hurt, they're attacked, they're lost, they're scattered. So what's God going to do? What is God going to do? God says, I'm going to fire these shepherds. This is what sovereign Yahweh says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. God is against the leaders of ancient Israel. God is against leaders who don't take care of the people, but prophet off of them. God is against shepherds who eat the sheep. And so the Old Testament prophets announces that a day is coming when the leadership class of Israel is going to be replaced. Okay. So who will actually do the shepherding? Who will actually take care of the sheep? For this is what sovereign Yahweh says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares sovereign Yahweh. God says, I'm the owner, I'm the shepherd. I will care for them. I will gather my my sheep from all over the place they've scattered, bring them back, bound them up, heal them, put them in a good pasture, feed them, and take care of them. So that's the solution, right? Fire the shepherds. God, the owner, is gonna take over and be the shepherd. It's all very clear, right? Until you jump down a few verses, and this is what it says here. Verse 23, Yahweh's talking. Yahweh says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Huh. And he will tend them. And he will tend them and be their shepherd. And I, Yahweh, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. Okay, now just let's get clear what's going on here. Right now it says, this seems like there's going to be another shepherd getting hired. His, his, his name is David. Now this can't be the David the famous king David, because by this time David's been like dead like 500 years, he's really talking about a, servant, a descendant of David. Okay? So a descendant of David is going to be the shepherd over God's people. OK? But just six verses earlier, didn't this say that God is going to be the shepherd over the people? So how can this be? Right? We have a descendant of David being the shepherd, and we have Yahweh being the shepherd. How can they both be the shepherd of the people? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. If you guys, if you're there for the beginning of the series, when I explained the meaning of I am, we talked about how this phrase right here is connected to God's name, Yahweh. Right? that when he, Jesus uses I am, he is claiming to be Yahweh. He doesn't make it clear here because he's talking to the Pharisees who know the Old Testament really well. And this is what he's saying to them. I am the good shepherd. I am that new David who is gonna be the shepherd over the whole flock. I am gonna take care of the sheep. Why? Because I am Yahweh, the owner of the sheep. I am the owner of the sheep. And guess what? You're not. You're at hired hands. You're, 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 the, you're, you're the descendant of this of lazy, selfish shepherds of ancient Israel. Think about what happened in chapter nine, right? We have, we have this blind man, an injured sheep. The Pharisees can't do anything about it. So the good shepherd Jesus comes along and he heals them. And so the Pharisees, well, instead of rejoicing, instead of helping him transition to a new life, What do they do? They they, they come in with a rigid theological framework, they put on a tribunal, they humiliate, embarrass the guy, and then throws him out. The Pharisees don't care about the sheep. No. They're nothing but hired hands. And so Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and you are not. Guess what? You're fired. I am the good shepherd. Them's fighting words. And so Jesus says it again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now I know there's lots going on in these few verses, more than I can talk about. So I just want to focus on kind of the big question. What is Jesus saying to the Pharisees? What he's saying is this, I am the good shepherd and this flock, they're mine. You can't have them. I have them locked down. Okay, They hear my voice. They understand me. They follow me. They will not follow you. Look at, look at chapter nine, the blind man. He's been hanging out with the Pharisees. That goes nowhere. He meets Jesus, just a few words from Jesus. And the blind man is like, I believe. And he worships Jesus. The sheep recognizes the voice of the shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and you are not. And this flock belongs to me. The sheep knows me, I know them. They are mine, hands off. That's the message Jesus has to the Pharisees in John chapter 10. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Great sermon, Charles, to the Pharisees. What about us? How does this relate to us? Well, great question. Look. This passage is about, is about security and well-being for the, for, for the sheep. And Jesus says, I am the gate, that's what we're gonna talk about next week, and he says, I am the good shepherd. But there is a part for the sheep to play in this story. Remember, there is a security mechanism built into the sheep. The sheep is supposed to recognize the voice of Jesus. Now, now when I used to read this passage, you know, before I studied up on sheep, <laughs> I, I, I always thought this is something that sheep just kind of know. They're kind of like they're just automatic in, in intuition about, about shepherds. So when I went out to the farm uh, to, to, to talk to Kim and learn about the sheep, I thought I would like to run some experiments. So here's some experiments. Experiment number one. Do sheep really run away from strangers? Take a look. Come on. Come on. Oh, they're all right. They're kind of scared of me. Okay, so that's so far what, what, what Jesus says holds true. Sheep ran away from me. They are afraid of strangers. But here's what I found. It wasn't that hard to get them to follow me. Take a look. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> All right, have a little bit. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. So you will take food, even though I am a stranger, you don't know me. All it took was a bucket of corn, all right? If I had been a real thief, it would not have been very difficult to steal this flock. All right, so final test. Do sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd? So Jesus says, the sheep recognizes the voice of the true shepherd. Well, so we're going to do a little test here because Kim is their true shepherd. I'm the stranger. So um, uh, on the count of three, we're going to try to attract the sheep to us. Uh, I have some corn here. So does she. We'll see if they go to her or they come to me or they don't really care about the person, just care about the food. Okay. So here it goes. On the count of three. One, two, three. Hello! Here! Here! Here we go! Hello! hello. Come on! Come on! Hello! Woo, woo. Hey! Hey! Hello! Come over here! 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 Okay! Come on! Come on! Um, okay! Nothing happened. <laughs> um, was Jesus wrong? Was Jesus wrong? See. We tried that multiple times. And by the way, Kim was not Mike. She was actually talking to the sheep. She was trying to get them to come to her. And and, and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. The sheep didn't recognize her voice. Now, but there's it's more complicated than that. You see, you see, Kim tells me the story about how sometimes uh, you know you have a newborn lamb that gets abandoned by her mother. And so what she would do is she would take the lamb and she would bring to the house and would bottle feed and raise the lamb. And when that happens, the lamb recognizes her voice, because they were bonded together. The sheep out there in the pasture, well, they're protected. They're inside the gated area, they're protected. So no, they don't recognize her voice, but the ones who spend time with her do. So here's what I learned. That to recognize the shepherd's voice does not come naturally to a sheep. It's a trained behavior. Now, does that mean Jesus is wrong? Well, no, it's, it's, they just, they raised sheep differently in the first century. In the first century, they didn't have a, a, kind of a gated area for pasture for the sheep to run around. They didn't have, you know, when you run out of grass, they don't bring, you know, they do ship in bales of hay for them to eat. No, they had to take the sheep from, from pasture to pasture, watering hole to watering hole. There's, there are thieves, they are robbers, there are all kinds of natural predators about, which means the, sh- the shepherd have to be veg- vigilant. They have to hang out with the flock 24-7. They have time to bond. And the shepherd has the time to train the sheep to recognize his voice so they only follow him and they run away from strangers. This is trained behavior. So what what does that mean for us? Jesus says his sheep recognizes his voice. We need to recognize the voice of Jesus for our own protection from spiritual predators. Now I know this whole idea of recognizing Jesus' voice just kind of raises further questions for a lot of people. A lot of people, even Christ followers, they're like, well, this sounds really, really weird, right? Like, question number one, uh, does God really talk to us? Uh, here's how I usually answer the question. I say, look, if we truly believe that God exists and we believe that he knows us personally and cares about us personally, And then more than that, we believe that through Jesus Christ, we are joined together in a spiritual union with God, one with Jesus, and Jesus is one with the Father. Then would it really be that weird for God to speak to us, right? I mean, isn't that what we expect based on what we believe of God? We believe that God is real, and we believe that God wants to form relationships with us. If you believe those two things, then we would expect God to speak to us. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, 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 but okay, Charles, I have never had an experience like that. God has never spoken to me. So is there something wrong with me? Is that what you're saying, Charles? Not at all. Okay, but, but, but it's a great question. So, so two quick things. Number one, we don't control whether God speaks to us or not. God chooses if and when to speak. Okay, we can't make him talk. It doesn't work that way. But second, I think there's some kind of misunderstanding about what it means to hear from God. When I, was, when I first got serious about following Jesus when I was in college, I was like, huh, I hear friends of so mine talking about how they hear from God. And I'm like, really? That never happened to me before? Oh my gosh, how, what does it sound like when God talks to you? And, and, and they say, well, it's, it's not like really words most of the time. It's usually just kind of a sense, right? A sense of comfort, a sense of encouragement, a sense of peace, right? And I thought, really? That's it? I've had that, I think. I don't remember because I, I, I'm not used to categorizing those things as God speaking to me. I think many of us, when we start thinking about God talking to us, we think about Moses in front of the burning bush, and God's going, Moses, Moses. And we're like, whoa, you know, we're expecting that. But that's not been my experience, nor the experience of anybody I talk to who say God talks to them. No. In fact, here's the thing. Okay, I know we're not, every, every relationship with God is unique, and we're not supposed to use other people's story as our models. But, but here's my story. I can count on one hand the number of times I heard clearly from God very explicit instruction or commands. And that's in over 30 years of following Jesus. I can count on one hand. The rest of the time, vague sensations. Now I know what you're thinking. All right, so I'm you know I'm reading a Bible, I'm praying, and I'm getting these weird sensations. How do I know they're from God? (laughs) Right? Could it be just I'm feeling strange things? Great question. When I first started paying attention, trying to figure out whether God's talking to me or not, I get these sensations. I'm like, wait, they're from God? I don't know. Maybe they're just me. I'm in manufacturing them. I don't know. I'm freaking out, right? And so since then, I've developed some rules of thumb. Rule number one, relax. If I sense something and I'm not sure if it's God talking or what he's saying, I put it aside because, you know, if it's something that God really wants me to pay attention to, He'll call back. He has my number. Second, when I think God's saying something to me, I don't tell anybody. I don't tell anybody. Why? Because God has a tendency in my life to use other people to confirm what he's saying to me. When I send something, I wait, I listen to other people talk, and sometimes, many times, God will say the same thing to me through other people. God gives wisdom to the community. We are one body. And in the same vein, I never use, oh, God told me to influence other people. I don't do that. Um, When I was, 27 years ago, when I I was done with seminary, I I was thinking about what I'm going to do next. A church in Southern California actually contacted me and said, hey, we have somebody in our church here who had a vision that you are going to be our next pastor. And I'm like, "Uh, sorry, but God didn't tell me. Okay, So you understand how this works, right? God, when I feel like God's talking, he tends to talk to, the, to a lot of other people. If I'm the only person hearing it, I'm most likely hearing it wrong. Finally, over time, it gets easier to figure out and to recognize God's voice. It takes time. What I said earlier about, about the sheep recognizing the voice, remember, it takes bonding, It takes bonding time. We've been talking this whole whole semester, the whole series, pray and read the Bible. What do you think that is? That is bonding time with the shepherd. When you're reading the Bible, you are reading the word of God. And in the word of God, there is God's values, there is God's way of seeing the world. And as we read it, as we simmer in it, as we stew in it, what happens is we learn to recognize the voice behind the words. We get to, 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 to kind of recognize, wait, that's how God thinks. That's how God sees the world. And when you get that, you begin to recognize the voice of God. So it takes time, okay? It takes time. There's no shortcut. There's no seven easy steps to recognizing the voice of Jesus. It's day-to-day discipline over the course of decades. Sorry about that. But if you are interested if you're interested in recognizing God's voice, go to our church's website, go to our church's blog, and it provides resources on how to start praying, how to start reading the Bible, how to put in the work so that you can connect with God. Because Jesus says, we are his sheep, and we need to be able to recognize his voice for our sake. Let me pray for us. Father, we are indeed your sheep, and you are indeed our shepherd, and you are a good shepherd. You love us, you care about us, you will fight and die for us. And I know you also want us to be bonded with you. You want us to know you. You want us to be sheep that recognize your voice, and we want that too. And we sometimes don't even know how. We don't even know how. I mean, so many of us, we're like, we're never taught how to, how to listen, and, and so we're like, what do you sound like? Help us to begin that process. Help us to take steps to begin taking that process of learning to hear your voice. Help us to dare. It's a little scary, we, 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 we confess that before you, so help us. We love you. It is in Jesus that we pray, amen.